All right, you guys, um, we'll go ahead and get started in the second portion of tonight's class. So good to see you. I'm proud of you for being here. I bet it was a challenge uh, for some because the enemy doesn't want you to come and, and complete the course. And he wants to frustrate you. He wants to oppose you. And uh, what a blessing it is. And so if you uh, finish up, I think we have five more weeks. Um, wow, wow, how awesome that will be. If you missed last week, I talked to Pastor Ray and he'll get you the notes. So if you need a CD, we'll show you even maybe where you can listen to it online. How many of you here uh, did your homework last week? You did your reading. If you would raise your hand. How many of you, if you didn't raise your hand, no, I'm sorry. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so if you guys really want to get like a certificate of completion, uh, you, you, we're, we're going to ask you to finish your homework, read your book, okay? It's real easy reading and uh, maybe just a couple of minutes away from the television or, or something and boom, before you know it, uh, you get it done. So uh, let's pray and then we'll get into tonight's section on the triune God. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here I do pray, Lord, that you would just root and ground us in your love, in your word. I pray for these amazing uh, people that have taken that step of faith, Lord, for, I don't know how, Lord, but you brought them here. And I pray, Lord, that you would root them and ground them in, in Lord, your word so that, like for the rest of our life, God, when the enemy comes, when the cults come, when the lies come, We'll be able to defend the truth and we'll be able even to share this with others so that they can stand and one day they go to heaven because we took this class. I thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here and I pray your blessing, Lord, as we study about you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Open our eyes, open our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so you should have a, note, a handout on... The triune God, what we're going to do this week is study God kind of as a whole. And then the next few weeks, we're going to look at them as individuals, the individual persons of the Godhead. And so in our notes, you'll notice it says you will be asked to commit the following definition to memory. The Trinity is defined as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equal in essence and nature but not in function and office. And so that right there, the way that it's worded is so important. It's imperative that you, that you, you memorize it that way. How many gods? One, One God in, in three persons. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, and they're equal in essence. And by that, I mean they're, they're all God. Just like a man and a woman, they're both human beings. They're equal in essence and nature, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But they're not equal in function and office. And by that I mean even within the Godhead there's a structure. And you have the Father who is, I guess you could say, highest in office. And you have the Son who submits to Him. And then you have the Holy Spirit who submits to them both. And so you see how they're equal? in essence and nature, but they're not in function and office. And therefore, when you see some passages in the Bible where it looks like Jesus is subservient, now you can understand it that way. It's not that he's not God. It's just that he has the second place in the Trinity. He's, you know, not equal in that 
office. And so we're going to study this because there's a lot of confusion out there. The Jehovah Witnesses, they believe that Jesus is not God. They will teach you that Jesus was created by God and that he is simply Michael the Archangel. And so they'll come and they'll teach you that. That's heresy. And they're going to go to hell for that. It's a, it's a, it's a very important doctrine. Um, there's also another doctrine. There's a, you guys ever heard of the church, United Pentecostal Church? Uh, it, they teach what's called modalism. And they teach that, that it's one God who basically wears three uniforms. Sometimes he puts on the uniform as being the father. Sometimes he puts on a different uniform as the son. And sometimes he puts on another uniform as the Holy Spirit. It's called modalism, and that's also heresy. No, it's one God, three distinct persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal in essence and nature. And what that means is that they have always existed. All three have always existed. And so we need to know this when it comes to God it's not tritheism either. It's not three gods in, in the sense, you know, sometimes you see, you know, whatever, these being with three heads type of thing. No, it's a mystery, but it is clearly the way God has revealed himself to us. And so in our notes, it says, although the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, the teaching is explicitly taught. So letter A, the Bible explicitly teaches that there is only one God. I mean, it clearly teaches that. Um, and we only have just a, a little sample of verses, but man, you'll see it throughout the pages of Scripture, all these points, but we don't have enough time to go every passage. So Mark twelve thirty two. so the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And so you'll see that also in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you see it in all these passages. For example, 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one God and one mediator. And so clearly the Bible teaches there's one God. And that brings up an interesting point. Because the Jehovah Witness will tell you that Jesus is a God. In John chapter 1 and verse 1, where the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. So they, right off the bat, teach pluralism. They teach uh, a plurality of gods. But the Bible, Bible says there's only one God. And so we need to know that. Letter B, the Bible explicitly teaches that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. So number one, the Father is God. Ephesians 4, 6 uh, says there is one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so when Jesus gave us the model prayer, do you remember the way he started off? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so, you know, it, we're going to see, I mean, there's usually no argument in this. Most people know that Father is God. But I do pray you would see him as your father. Maybe you didn't have a good father figure. And sometimes it's a hard hurdle to clear. But you have to see him as this benevolent, loving, holy father who will watch over you, protect you, provide for you. He's the dad you never had. That's God. 
Okay, so the Father is God, and then secondly, the Son is God, in, in reference to Jesus. Again, we read that passage in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, when it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, who's he talking about? Jesus, right? And, and in verse 1, he calls him God. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the Greek language, the emphasis is on that last word, theos. And so, you know, the way you're supposed to read it is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how John wrote his letter. And that's how John presents Jesus. Remember, Matthew presents Jesus as king of the Jews. Mark presents him as a slave written to the Romans. Luke presents him as a perfect man. John presents him as a God to the world. And so um, the Father is God, the Son is God, and then you have a lot of passages there that give support. Um, and then the third point is that the Holy Spirit is God. Now, in our notes, it says, if a person refuses to believe in the deity of Christ, that person will die in his sins. And I wanted to look at a couple of passages real quick in John chapter 8. So let's open to John chapter 8. As Jesus is dialoguing with the religious leaders of the day, And earlier in your, in your, in your notes, you had a, a text. I don't know if you want to turn back to that page. In, in John 8:58 and Exodus 3:14. Do you see that in your notes? John 8:58 and Exodus 3:14. So when Moses was talking to God, and, and Moses asked him, "Well, who should I say sent me? What's your name?" In Exodus 3.14, the Lord said, Tell them that I am sent you. I am that I am. Not, not that I was, not I will be, I am. He's a self-sufficient, eternally existent God. You ever have your kids ask you, who made God? Do your kids ever, sometimes you get little kids, they ask the hard questions, right? Who made God? And the answer is, he's always existed. If there is anything that exists today, then something has to be eternal. Correct? I mean, when I went to college, I majored in philosophy, and so I studied these things. And so, you know, um, if there is anything that exists today, then something has to be eternal. Now, if you want to, you can believe in a mindless, eternal, you know, stuff that's always existed gases, I don't know, dirt, chemicals, it's always existed. Or you can believe that everything came from nothing. And I don't think that's possible. Do you think everything came from nothing? Do you think at one time, if you go back far enough, there was nothing and then something came? No, it's something's eternal. Either matter is eternal, or a being is eternal, or a designer is eternal. And that's who God is. He is I am. He's always existed. And so the Jews knew him as I am. And so here in John chapter 8, look at verse 24. 
it says, Therefore I said to you, Jesus speaking to the religious leaders, that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am, he is italicized. You notice that in your Bible? And that means it's not there in the original language. In the original language, it's ego me. I am. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. As a matter of fact, later on in this same chapter, if you go over to verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What's he saying? I'm God. And so notice they knew what he was saying. Look at the next verse. Then they took up stones to throw at him. Why? Because they thought he was blaspheming. They knew he was claiming to be God. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them. So it's important that you believe Jesus is God. And I tell you what, before you're a Christian, maybe you might struggle with it. You don't understand it. But after you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and you read your Bible, you will know the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Right? In Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, remember Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. Who did Ananias and Sapphira lie to, according to verse 3? The Holy Spirit, right? And verse 5, Then Ananias, hearing those words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. If you go to Acts chapter 5, I should have put one more verse there, but I want you guys to look at it. Acts chapter 5, again, Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of it, the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own and in your own control? Why have you conceived this in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? God. So he lied to the Holy Spirit, and Peter says in the process, what you've done is you've lied to God. You see, the Holy Spirit, and this is another thing, the Jehovah Witnesses will tell you that the Holy Spirit is just a force, that he's not a personal being. Uh, That's why I, I cringe. A lot of times I hear Christians talk about the Holy Spirit, and they use the word it. If you ever hear a Christian saying it about the Holy Spirit, slap them. Okay? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Maybe you can't do that. But yeah, just, ah, no, he, he, not it, not a force. It's not like Star Wars. The force will be with you. No. That's what the Jehovah Witnesses teach. No, he is the third person of the blessed Trinity. Okay? So the Holy Spirit is not an it or a force, but a person, a he with a will. In John chapter 14, And we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk more about all the three members of the Godhead. But look at John chapter 14. In John chapter 14 in verse 16. 
says, and I will pray. This is Jesus, uh, and the, the, the night before he's, you know, gets crucified, he's going to get arrested later that night or in the wee hours of the morning. And so these are his last words to his disciples. And whenever you're kind of talking your last words, you talk about important things, and he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. He says, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth. And so Jesus is leaving, but he's praying the Father to give them another, just like him, a helper. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. But notice he doesn't use the word it, that it may abide with you. He uses the personal pronoun, he, that he may abide with you, the spirit of truth. We see it again in John chapter 16, in verse 13. Notice what we read here. And it says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now, it's interesting how it keeps referring to him as he, that's one point. But another thing, now that you guys are understanding the Trinity, you see how he doesn't speak on his own authority? Whose authority is he speaking on? Father. You see the way, and now that you understand it, okay, well, yeah, one God, three persons, equal in essence and nature, but not in function and office. Now I realize how the Son is submissive and how sometimes it seems like the Father is greater, but now... We're getting the balance here. And here he says, he will guide you into all truth. And you want to know what that is? That is a promise of the 27 books of the New Testament. That he would inspire those 27 books. And not only would it be an inspiration of the New Testament, it is prophecy. And he will tell you things to come. And so Jesus here is saying, don't worry, I'm leaving, but it's for your benefit that I'm leaving because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Father will send you the Holy Spirit and he will guide you into all truth. Not it, not it, right? Okay, so this is God, you know, bigger than maybe you might have thought. Um, one God, three persons. How does that work? Well, we can't comprehend it, but here's the thing. Although we cannot possibly comprehend how God can be three in one, for we are finite and God is infinite, we must keep in mind that we are not called to comprehend God. We are only called to submit to how He has revealed Himself to us. You see, the Jehovah Witnesses, part of the reason why they don't believe in the Trinity is because they approach the Bible with their preconceived ideas. Their version of the Bible, which is called the New World Translation, is a terrible version. They have no Greek scholarship in the Bible, but they approached it with their preconceived ideas, and therefore what you find is that it's not an accurate translation. And so, you know, for us, I don't understand how three can be one. I don't understand the Trinity but I know my Bible teaches it. Now, if you had a God that you can completely comprehend, you know, he may not be as big as you, as you thought. So be careful. Just because you don't agree with something or just because you don't understand something 
that you don't reduce God or reduce truth to things that only you as this, you know, these puny people who where we can comprehend, you know, and God's bigger than that. Another doctrine that Jehovah Witnesses do not like is the doctrine of hell. I don't like it either, to be honest with you. That's why I chose Jesus, you know. <laughs> but you know what? God is God. And I know what my Bible says about hell. It's a real place. Jehovah Witnesses, again, they erase that from their Bible. See, so we cannot approach the scriptures based on our reasoning or what we think is right. Listen, God is God. And this is how he's revealed himself to us. And this is what he says. So be careful that you don't approach it thinking, well, if I can't comprehend it, it must not be true. No, just try to think of it this way, like an ant trying to understand rocket science or something. I mean, the ant's probably not going to be able to. Neither will we. Okay, so right here it gives you like an incorrect uh, look at this, you know, 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3. No, it's more like 1 times 1 times 1 equals 1. It's, it's more along those lines. And so if you were to go to eternity past, imagine going all the way back. And I, don't, I guess there's no beginning. Huh, isn't that kind of blow a fuse? There would be the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're like, well, why do they call him the Son? Did the Father have sex with someone one day and, you know, the Son came? And the Mormons will teach you that. It's crazy what these guys out there, they teach. You guys know the Mormons teach that there's a plethora of gods and that if you were a good Mormon and you went to the temple and performed the secret rituals that you could become a god. Do you guys know that? That's what they teach. And they teach that you can have this celestial marriage and a grip of wives. It's just amazing what's out there. No, there's not all these gods. There's one God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about it as we get into it. Here's an ancient diagram of the Trinity. And you notice that there's one God. He's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit is God. The Father is God. The Son is God. But they're not each other. The father and the son relationship is not that the father made him or the father had him, you know, like some type of celestial sex. It's, that's, it's just a description of their everlasting relationship. Think about it. Any of you guys here, you know, you have a son, how much you love, and it doesn't have to be a son, it could be a child, how much you love that child. Well, think about the father and the son. They've always had that relationship. Always. And he gave his son to die on a cross for us. Think about that. It's just amazing. So within the Bible, there are implicit teachings of the Trinity. And I'm just going to read through these. Because you have what's explicit, which it, it just come out, it comes out straight out. But then you have kind of what's implicit. You read a little bit between the lines. In Genesis 1.26, it says, We are made in the image of God only, and yet he refers to himself in plurality as us, and even converses within the Godhead. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So who's he talking to? Is he talking to the angels? No, we're not made in the image of angels. 
It's the Father, Son, Holy Spirit having this conversation. Let us make man in our image. Number two, when God calls Isaiah, he refers to himself in the plurality as us. And he converses within the Godhead. Isaiah chapter 6, in verse 3, where the, the, you read it there, it says, they said, who will go for us? You know, again, it's not the Father you know, asking the angels. There's a, there's a conversation within the Godhead. We see uh, the three mentioned, number three is in the conception of Christ. In the conception of Christ. Luke one thirty five. it says, And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Who's the highest? The Father. Good. Therefore also the Holy One, who's that? Who will be born? Who's that? Jesus will be called the Son of God. So you see the three there. You see it in the baptism of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. So there's the Holy Spirit, there's Jesus, with a voice that came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. And so you see Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Number five, in the teaching of Christ about the Holy Spirit, we read in John 14, 16, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. We see the three, number six, in the Great Commission where Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name. Now, in, in the Greek language, this is a singular, in the name. Not the names. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, real quick, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is not just what we do when we dunk you in the water, although that's part of it. What it is, is when we're making disciples, we have to teach people about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's why we're going to do that in this class. Number seven, in Paul's closing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And there you would talk, when it talks about the love of God, you would know that to be the love of the Father. Okay, so real quick on the Trinity, you guys are going to read more in your books. But I, um, I don't know, like, I'm so glad you're taking this class. I wish everyone took this class because I'll tell you what, most of those Christians out here that come on every Sunday, um, they don't really know the doctrine of the Trinity. And when the JW comes or the Mormon comes or whoever, someone United Pentecost, they don't understand the Holy Spirit. They don't understand these things. So I'm so glad that you've taken the class. And uh, you're like, yeah, Manny, I, I still don't understand. <laughs> Do you understand? You guys are getting it? Okay, you're getting it. All right, well, we can ask questions. Not tonight because I'm running out of time, but another time. <laughs> Number two, I just want to touch real quick on the attributes of God. There are many attributes, features, characteristics, qualities of God. Below are a handful, just a handful of God's attributes to spark your interest. Letter A, they're the communicable attributes and those that human beings can also have. Number one, God is holy. God is holy. And if I could say, this is God's overriding attribute. Of all his attributes, this is probably his most powerful attribute. His holiness. 
This is why no sin is allowed in His presence. This is why no sin is allowed in heaven. You know, when the Bible uh, would try to emphasize things, it would repeat things. So there's only two times in the whole Bible where a word is repeated three times in succession. Did you guys know that? Only two times in the whole Bible, really, three times, but two instances. Um, and this is where it is, where the Bible says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Yeah, and it's a song. And it's a great song. Because what it is, is it emphasizes God's overriding attribute. The only other time a word is repeated in the Bible is in the book of Revelation, where it says, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Why? Because judgment's coming. Why judgment coming? Because God is holy. See? So, holy. Number two, loving. God is loving. And 1 John 4, 8 even says God is love. Don't you guys like love? I love love. Love is cool. Number three, merciful. God is merciful. And you'll see that in Exodus 34, 6, these next three attributes. Uh, number four, he's gracious. And then number five, he's good. So what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Right? Are, are you glad God is merciful? But that's not all we are. You see, what do we deserve? Nothing. We deserve hell. Eesh. But, but well, what are we getting? Heaven. See, there's mercy, which is not getting what you deserve. And there's grace which is getting what you don't deserve. That's God. These are just a few of his attributes. He's gracious and he's good, Exodus 34, 6. And he's able to take even the bad, Romans 8, 28, and work it out together for good. Letter B is the non-communicable attributes, those that belong to God alone. So it's kind of cool. We can actually, when we grow as Christians... We can actually um, develop these attributes of God that are the communicable ones. We can be more holy and loving and merciful and gracious and even good. Barnabas was a good man, the Bible says. But, but these other ones, we can't. These belong only to God. Number one, God is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. Genesis 18, 14, it says, Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No way. And so you got to know who God is. He's not limited in his power. Um, number two, God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere present. Psalm 139 says, Where can I go from your presence, O Lord? Even if I travel the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, I could not escape God's presence. So if you go into heaven, you're there. Hell, you're there. So God is here. Wherever you go, God is there. Now, does that, do you think that when a person gets a grip on that doctrine, you might, might change them a little bit? You start yelling at your wife? Wait a minute, God's here. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. You know, wherever you go. Um, I went to go do the city council meeting right now, and I did an invocation. I said, Lord, we welcome you here in this place. We know you're here. So he's everywhere present in his fullness at all times. Number three, omniscient, meaning that God is all-knowing. He knows how many hairs you have, how many tears you cried. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows when you sit, when you rise. 
He knows all your pain, all your struggles, all your doubts, all your flaws, all your failures, and He still loves you. He will never stop loving you. It's so cool to have this God who knows everything. Number four, God is sovereign. And that means he's in control and he's ruling over our lives. Number five, he's infinite and eternal. Without beginning and end. And so, you know, you can read this stuff and it's kind of, let me just close real quick with this. Some people, they look at the doctrine of God and sometimes they try to make it some type of intellectual study. But don't do that. Make it personal. See, he's eternal. But I like what we read right here. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. So you take this God that we're talking about, you know, and that gave his son because he loves us so much, who's all powerful and, and, and you know, eternal. And, and, then, and then you just find comfort in knowing that he is your God and you are the apple of his eye. Think about that. If God were, if you were to look in God's eyeball right now and his pupil, you know what you would see? A reflection of yourself. Why? Because he can't take his eyes off you. Right? Number one, that keeps us in line. Because remember how mom had eyes in the back of her head and you mess up, she'd give you a trancaso with a chancla. You remember that? <laughs> but not only that, um, it, it's just so cool to know that God has his eyes on us. So, uh, any questions on those? Is, yes, uh, Robert. What is C2 and C7? Okay. Well, it sounds like um, Battleship. Um. <laughs> C2. Okay. C2 is us. When God calls Isaiah, he refers to himself in the plurality as us. And then C7 in Paul's closing to the Corinthians. Yes. And C4 and C5. Okay. Absolutely. Number four is in the baptism of Christ. And then number five is in the teaching of Christ. C1. Plurality. And so we are made in the image of God only, and yet he refers to himself in plurality. Yes. Yeah, so you remember the three prepositions? So prior to salvation, he's with us. He's convicting us. He's drawing us to God. And so um, God, because we're elect according to his foreknowledge, remember? He looked down the quarters of time and he knew that when you would receive him, when your heart would be open, soft and tender. Sometimes we have to go through things to bring us to that place where we need to be. And then all of a sudden, it is in a special way. Now, remember, God's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. But certain times he draws closer and he does a, 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 a work inside of us. 
And that's when the Holy Spirit is at that point wooing you and convicting you and convincing you. So it's just prior to salvation. And sometimes you'll talk to people and they'll say, yeah, right before I got saved, you know, all of a sudden I started getting, you know, conviction over things that I didn't have before. And um, right now I was talking to one of the guys in the, the city council and inviting him to church. And you can tell God's working on him, you know, softening his heart. So I don't know if that answers, Angie. Prior to salvation, he's just said, okay, it's time. You know, it's time. Yes, Ken. Uh, what, what is two, five? Um, Roman numeral number two? Yes. And then five where it says uh, um, infinite and eternal. Is that the one? Um, or good. 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 Exodus 34, 6. Sorry, guys, I started going really fast because I, I hate going over. I'm so sorry I went over. But I wanted to close tonight. Um, in Luke 11, Pastor Ray went over the teaching on the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said um, to seek and to ask and to knock. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How many of you here know how to give good gifts to your children? He said, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You're like, well, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? thousand push-ups. No, I'm sure. <laughs> how do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Remember, Luke 11, he's talking to his children. They're Christians. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does he? So if you want that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that power, for some people, we kind of refer to it when it's the first time as the baptism. It's after that, it's just a fresh feeling, fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. So um, let me pray for you guys. And if that's something that you want, it's then right now you just tell the Lord, I want you, Lord. I want more of you. I want all of you. In one sense, it's like he has all of us. Well, we yield everything. We yield our life to him. And, and he sees that. But I know in my life, I mean, he baptized me with the Holy Spirit. He just got a hold of me. I, you know, you can tell when a person's baptized with the Holy Spirit because they don't mess around. Um, they're, they, they're hungry for the word. They're hungry for prayer. They're hungry for God. Uh, they're not, you know, a nominal, superficial Christian. And, well, how did that happen? Well, it's because they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's why Pastor Ray was talking about that time in Acts chapter 19 when he went to them and he said, man, these guys are just, like, so normal. There's nothing. They need the Holy Spirit. And I think a lot of people do. And so, Lord, we thank you for loving us, Father. I thank you for who you are. Uh, and I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, who needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that right now, God, that in their hearts, Lord, you see them and you fall on them. You give them your strength, give them your power, give them your love. Give them, Lord, that ability to overcome sin and to never look back, to step on it, Lord, to crush it, to overcome. Lord, I pray that you would do that work today 
right here, right now in hearts. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts with your love. I pray, Lord, for all of us, myself included, Lord, I can't stand before anyone. I can't stand before a single temptation without the filling of the Holy Spirit. I can't do anything that's good without you. And so I do ask, Lord, empty me of self and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And bless these uh, beautiful uh, Christians that have come tonight and just continue, Lord, to lead them and guide them and strengthen them and protect them. And I, and I pray, Lord, that you would use their lives for your glory. Pray for their unloved family members, unsaved family members, I should say. Lord, any uh, kids, grandchildren, Lord, I pray that you work in their hearts. So we thank you, uh, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you'll notice on your sheet right here, it gives you your homework. Read pages 33 through 43 in the book, Doctrines. And let me ask you guys a question, okay? Because I don't want to be a dictator here, but let me ask you a question. Can I give you a quiz next week? Yeah, we, we showed you guys grace. We probably should have gave you one today. But can I give you a quiz next week? Okay, so read through your notes. You're the one thing I'm telling you that's going to be on the quiz is the definition of the Trinity. So that one, you got to memorize. Okay? All right. Lord willing, we'll see you next week.